0: In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Pistor starts now.
1: Hey, it's Mark Lacour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode 24. Joining me today is my marvelous co-host, Patrick Pister. What's
2: up, Patrick? Oh, very well, Mark. Uh, marvelous. I feel good today. That's
1: <laughs> yeah. One day I will run out of adjectives. Um, <laughs> Um, and we have a guest today. We have a Brandon. How, Brandon, how do you pronounce your last name?
3: Sure, it's pronounced Iglesias.
1: Iglesias, yeah. Uh, joining us today from uh, Reactwell LLC, uh, welcome to Houston.
3: Thank you, Mark. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so you actually live in New Orleans now, but you've been all over the place before that?
3: Yes.
2: Yeah. Um, I was disappointed we're not doing the podcast from your office in New Orleans. You're right off Bourbon a couple blocks?
3: Probably wouldn't get a lot of work done. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so Brandon, what's your story? how did you get started in this industry?
3: So I got started in oil and gas when I took a basic internship in undergraduate doing chemical blending and then from there I took a job after undergraduate with Petróleos de Venezuela and Hess Oil in the Caribbean at one of their oil refineries in the downstream sector.
1: Yeah. So when was that when you had your first exposure, when you had your first internship?
3: The date would be 2006.
1: 2006. So, literally 11 years ago. Yes. Yeah. And so, then you did some work with uh, Hess and did you say Petrovesa?
3: Yep. Hess and Petrovesa, They had a joint venture called Hovensa. It was roughly a 500,000 barrel per day oil refinery in the Caribbean on the island of St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands.
1: Yeah. So, you got your start in a refinery. Wow.
3: Yeah, as a process engineer. Process
1: yes. engineer. So, it, you were all over the place. Yes. Yeah. And so, how long did you do that?
3: Did that for about two years. And then okay. I got married. Uh, wife didn't like the island. So it was like 27 <laughs> by 7 miles. Kind of got rock fever. Right. So right. we moved back to the mainland the United States.
1: Yeah. And when was that?
3: That was roughly in 2008. Okay. End of 07 beginning of 08.
1: All right. And then so what happened once you all moved back to the states? So when I moved back well, to the Well they crashed the economy, I think. <laughs> I <said. laughs>
3: no, not at all. The, the timing was really really good though. we picked up a fixer upper condo um, during during the down cycle. Uh, so we still have that in the family. Yep.
1: All right, so you found a fixer-upper. Uh, did you all fix it up?
3: Yeah, I fixed it up, I actually. When I was in the island in the Caribbean, I worked with one of the refinery managers. He had his own wood shop, so we, I learned how to woodwork when I was down there in the Caribbean. So I you know, thought I'd tackle doing all the woodwork and cabinetry for our condo, uh, building it from scratch. Very so, nice.
1: So you learn how to do miter cuts and reverse miter cuts?
3: <laughs> I learned how to do miter cuts, <laughs> work with molding, folding the chains, and finish carpentry work.
1: Yeah, that can yeah. that can be a mess, trying to get that 45-degree right. That's yeah. why they're painted. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's what paintable caulk is for, right? That's like the best thing in the world. If any of my audience doesn't know what I'm talking about, you literally, if you make a mistake, you can smear the paintable caulk and let it dry and paint over it and it looks flawless. Nice. <laughs> yeah.
3: So, yeah, I took a, took a job with Murphy Oil when I came back to the States and started grad school as well. Right. Uh, so I took a job, similar job, process engineer, and then from there they gave me an opportunity to do uh, some of the laboratory work and then some economics and planning. Then uh, the lab manager at the time had uh, fallen ill, so I stepped up to the plate and actually was a lab manager for a refinery.
1: And for Murphy, Oil, oh, wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, Murphy's a great company. been around for a long time. Yep. Yeah, and so what happened after that?
3: So uh, you know, went into blending and then economics and planning, and then Murphy uh, was going through a sale process for the refinery, and I was going through graduate school at the time, and it was sponsored by Murphy. So my boss at the time uh, in economics and planning asked me, like, what do you want to do, you know, for the next year or two? It's like, well, I want to finish my school. I chose to work for Murphy. Great, great company. Mm -hmm. But they were going to pay for all my school. And, you know, Valero, great company as well. Uh, I interviewed with them when I was moving back to the States, but they don't cover all of a school like Tulane. The cost is is a hefty price tag for quality, but you pay for what you get, right? So he gave me an opportunity Uh, to where I got kind of like a small, wouldn't call it a golden parachute, but an opportunity uh, to where I was able to exit after the third round of layoffs instead of staying at the refinery and then finish my school full-time. So I was able to have school paid for, not incur the three to five-year indenturement. And when I was in school for the last year full-time, I doubled in finance and business. And I finished that in 2011 and also placed first in their business plan competition and that gave me my initial funding to get my company started. Yeah, so wow. I'll back
1: you way up. A lot of people that are listening right now don't, don't know what blending is in a refinery. What's blending?
3: Oh, blending's awesome. So you basically <laughs> take all the process uh, outputs of the units, the unit operations in a refinery, which you have units that make diesel fuels. You have units that make uh, gasoline. But the actual units themselves don't make spec-grade gasoline or spec-grade diesel in the money all the time. So you wanna blend those with other feedstocks to put the finished product in the money as, most as, as much as possible to maximize the profit for the refiner without giving away product that is under spec. So I can make a gasoline blend, right, that has great octane, but it's giving away product if it's more than the octane that is required by the actual engine using it for the Ron and Mon. So it's really an optimization, real time, with a lot of logistics involved and upsets possibly if something happens with the refinery unit. And,
1: but it's constantly changing, right? You don't dial everything in and walk away from you, it.
3: You don't walk away from that job. So <laughs> yeah. I was taking a final exam, actually, and I got a call uh, with a couple of questions because we had some fog on the river. Yeah, and yeah, so it it travels with you everywhere that job does. Yeah,
1: and it and it's um. There's been a lot of uh, changes in the technology, but still the bottom line is you have to have a person that understands what's going on f- to finally get make sure everything is right. Because either you you ship product that's below spec, mm-hmm. or you give away stuff for free that that's you shouldn't right. give away. And it's and there's a fine line there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a fascinating part of the downstream industry that people don't even know exist. All right, so we um we fast forward. You start your own company, uh, Reactwell. Yes. Yeah, and so what does ReactWell do?
3: So Reactwell was founded on the premise of using subsurface high pressure high temperature environments to perform chemical conversion reactions.
1: So you're literally using mother earth to help speed up chemical reactions.
3: Yes, we're using the gravity the gravitational field of the earth to reduce the pumping pressure requirements for chemical reactions at high pressure.
1: Yeah, isn't that cool? I mean that that's, and so where did this idea come from?
3: Yeah, it's a great question. So in 2000 in 10, and the BP Macondo incident happened at Block 252, and one of the uh, House of Representatives in the state of Louisiana and a senator uh, asked me to take a look at some of the numbers uh, because, you know, I grew up with one of the guys, and I would be an unbiased opinion. Right. Uh, I told them, you know, I'm not originally from upstream in the oil and gas. You know, I'm downstream, but I do work with high-pressure equipment. Uh, high-pressure and downstream is, you know, up to 5,000 PSI gauge, so— right. You know, different high pressure than upstream. Upstream, you know, 30,000 PSI gauge. Sometimes a lot of the valvings, up to 60,000 PSI gauge. So I looked at the numbers. Uh, they flew me out there to the Block 252 on a Sikorsky S92, and I was with a couple of the other individuals involved with the response operation. And I started looking at the downhole pressures and temperatures, and I was like, well, that's a very interesting environment to run a chemical reaction. And from that point on, I started pursuing that idea, and uh, that's where I came up with a proposition for the business plan competition, and then went with university, um, filed some uh, patents uh, with the sponsorship of uh, some of the university for the IP, and then I received a uh, scholarship by the Department of Energy and the state of Nevada to then study geochemistry and geology uh, at University of Nevada, Wolfpack, Reno, in 2012 to further validate what I was working on. That's
2: really interesting that you went out in the field, saw this happening, and then took that back to the edge You know, it's usually the other way around. The university comes up with some kind of theory that they're trying to prove in the field versus seeing real-world experience and taking that back in and, and doing what you did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I also think it's cool that he took something which was a huge disaster, and you actually pulled something positive out of there. Um, you know, so... Um, any any input as far as those downhole pressures and temperatures you're looking at, Macondo, anything that um, – I don't want to go too deep in this, but anything that when you walked in that as as almost like an independent third party, you go, oh, my God, this should not have been there.
3: I, I think actually that it's it's an attribute to mankind's pursuit of energy and their ingenuity to actually pursue developing a reservoir like that and doing exploratory well. That was a very, very deep well, and I don't think that was properly communicated, one of the deepest that we've drilled, actually, at that point in time. Yeah,
1: and it's um, the, the, and I don't want to get into it, but there's a whole um, perfect storm that caused that disaster that, that is, would be really hard to make happen again. Um, and then, of course, you know, the API stepped in with their recommended practice 75. 75. Government took that as almost pervadum, turned it to Sims Law, so now we have the legislation in place so that it won't happen again. So let's back up a little. I'm not back. Let's go move forward. So ReactWell. I mean, you're you're a high tech company in an industry, and, and it's a new product, but it's in an industry um, that historically doesn't like new stuff.
3: I wouldn't say doesn't like. It's it's a dangerous industry, right? And if you're going to do work in the industry, you need to have safety first, uh, top of mind at all times. And one of the things that we've run into, being a small company, being in a pretty dangerous, high pressure, high temperature environment is safety and the cost associated with those safety systems. So along the journey of commercializing this technology uh, that we developed and that we now have a test site for and we have all the laboratory equipment for is actually instrumenting up that equipment to be safe uh, when we're actually doing our laboratory tests, when we're doing our pilot, because if you, don't, if you don't have it instrumented appropriately, that's a very, very dangerous environment that you create, to say the least.
1: And But y'all are able to instrument literally cradle to grave one end to the other to make sure that everything is safe yes yeah i think that's unique i I mean i've seen i've seen some of the big like the honeywells or whatever come in with a one-size-fit-all solution and they can do it as well but it's a totally different approach the way y'all are taking it
3: yeah we took a fundamental approach to it because it is intrinsically built into our business to run the equipment and assets safe and we did a lot of case studies on other startups commercializing newer chemical technologies that had a fire at one of their demonstration sites or one (laughs) of their pilot sites, and it shut it down. It ruined the investment, completely stopped them in their tracks. Worst case, right? right? Someone lost a life on top of that, right? So our approach is, you know, we looked at the cost of these safety systems and how that does not really integrate too well with the human management, people management side of it, training side of it, as well as the sensors and the data aggregation. So that's when we spun out uh, our software. Uh, We call it safetyspot.com.
1: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about Safety Spot. So this was not something you intentionally started with in the beginning, but it was a byproduct of the work you were doing because you saw how strong um, and how important safety metrics are in this industry. Yes. Yeah, so Safetyspot.com, using technology, using your experiences that you've learned, um, talk a little bit about how that would come into an organization and help people with their safety uh, metrics.
3: Sure. So when an individual is onboarded to an organization, uh, our software handles an onboarding process for them, specifically relating to what locations and operational assets that they're going to be involved with. So it adjusts that individual and recalibrates them to, that safety culture in that organization. That's the first touch point.
2: Are you coming into organizations that have nothing except maybe a printed pamphlet? Or are you coming into organizations that maybe have a robust e-learning system for their onboarding? How are you integrating with the small and the big guys?
3: All of the above. Yeah. Okay. Some some organizations have pen and paper. Some of them actually have learning management solutions associated with it. Yep.
2: Are you coming in and completely replacing their systems or taking what they have and, and using your software to optimize and and improve?
3: So we, as a business owner, I do not think it's wise for someone to spend money if they already have a solution for it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. (laughs) Unless it is materially better, not just an incremental improvement. So our software package, it covers the whole block and tackling of safety, maintenance, quality control, inspections, the whole nine yards. So on average, there is one component of our system that can add value to that company, and we have APIs associated with our modules that can talk to other software. Problem is, most other software is very closed. Uh, closed-minded, they're not very open to sharing the information. Uh, but we put our modules out there with APIs, and the hardware that we have is open source as well.
1: Yeah, so it's you almost have a different business model. So it's built on open source, so it's not built on proprietary Um, software the hardware is yeah the hardware and then so you're using api so that you basically can talk with anything that you want to build an api connection with yes and it's a two-way exchange of information so that closed system now you can pull the data out that you need Mm -hmm. right and if you need to you can also push data back into that system yes right which lowers the cost because Mm -hmm. instead of you having to buy proprietary one um, technology solution providers product to fit everything you can come in and fix where there's gaps in in their systems. Yes. Yeah, that is really cool. It's um, so the the safety spot was a a, a kind of a byproduct of of the ReactWell business that you're doing. As you're moving forward as a business owner, as you're moving forward, are you actually seeing that the safety component of it actually helps you with the ReactWell component of it? Actually helps you people see that it's worth um investing time and money in ReactWell because they now know you can do it safely.
3: Yes, that's correct.
1: Yeah. And so one of the things, I, when I kind of uh, uh, glance through Safety Spot, it's y'all actually touch more. Uh, you actually touch a lot of the business, right? Operations, purchasing, accounting, audits, shipping, contracts, programming, engineering. Um, it's, so it's, it's almost like a holistic solution to co- bring into a company instead of just having an HS&E piece of software where people go use it because they have to. Now you're actually looking at safety metrics with without the entire company. I mean, you know, purchasing, auditing, are you kidding me?
3: Yeah, so we believe safety should be ingrained in the business's culture and the business's processes, and it should be top of mind when you're interacting with that business, doing business with it, purchasing from it, or selling to it.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree 100. percent And this industry as a whole agrees. It's just it's rare to see somebody that is able to combine H S and E with you know, like I said, purchasing. <laughs> but it's awesome.
3: Oh yeah. So, yeah. You want to make sure that the parts that you purchase, um, you know, you want to have a manufacturer, you know, that they're going to produce an on spec product to the, you know, if you're in a Raise it right. You need to make sure that's done correctly. So, we provide the um, purchasing, like the buyer agent, with a profile of the different vendors that are selling to them, because each corporation typically has a preferred vendors list. Now, right. that company had to go through certain steps to get on that vendor list. They also should be able to maintain that as well.
1: Yeah, and so um, that what's kind of cool about that is that's actually a, a dynamic part of the industry. But the way they manage their vendors is not dynamic, right? So once you pass the test of becoming approved vendors, typically it's they don't go back and, and, and recertify you. Or if they do is long, lengthy periods of time. Whereas you you're almost doing this in almost like in real time. So if a vendor gets on a sanctioned list somewhere or they have substandard products that go out, and another vendor rises in quality, you would,
2: you would know that. You could tell your, your prospect company that information right then.
3: Yeah, it's real-time, persistent state, situational awareness. Where
2: are you pulling that information from? Is it only internal when, you're, when that organization identifies a problem, or are you going out, are there web crawlers finding news articles and other sources that saying, hey, this vendor did something?
3: We consider proactive and reactive data inputs.
2: Yeah, and so what does that look like? What's a proactive input?
3: So a proactive would be doing an audit, a reoccurring audit, and then prompting the uh, buying uh, side, the buying agent or the purchasing agent, to do an audit on the vendor. So it's a reoccurring uh, evaluation. You can select it if you want to do it on an annual or every you know, three- or five-year basis.
1: And so what would be the other side of that?
3: So the other side of it is if there is a part that fails that needs to be communicated you know, that's communicated through several different means, uh, that would be reactive because it has already happened, the failure has happened.
1: Gotcha.
2: And how are you, uh, I guess, how are you identifying that failure? Um, usually if it's a failure that's big enough, it definitely gets flagged in everybody's system and you know that it was an equipment, equipment failure. I've seen smaller equipment failures, they just go grab a new part, change it out, and, and it's not really flagged as a as a failure.
3: So this is more like the manufacturer's part, actually. So the QAQC on the part in the supply chain—that's gotcha. what we're talking about.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then y- y'all, you do a lot of work with labs. Yes. Yeah. And if our audience doesn't know this, um, there are a ton of different types of laboratories uh, in the oil and gas industry as a whole. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have everything from chemical labs to material labs to. Um, destructive testing labs to non-destructive testing labs. And it's all vital for the industry because you have to make sure that what you're doing is safe, that it's compliant, that you don't have environmental risk. Um, and so there's constant testing in all these labs. So um, from a lab point of view, this has to be pretty awesome as well because you're basically taking what was before almost like siloed bits of information, of siloed mm-hmm. data, and you're bringing them all together. Now, do you actually have a dashboard? So does your... Yes. Y- see, so that's awesome. So somebody, so one person could actually sit down and look at the entire laboratory facilities...
3: Across the globe. Across
1: the globe in real time and see what's going on. And I'm I'm guessing your dashboard is very configurable, so whatever information they need would pop up first. Yes. Yeah. And Patrick, that's so much better than reading some email chain that somebody <laughs> sent. <laughs> it,
3: yeah, it can also track the status of equipment. So if you're looking to run, uh, run a sample on a certain QAQC machine... You can check the status of that machine before you schedule the machine and reserve the job. And that status is communicated to the entire workforce that touches that asset.
1: Yeah. And if our audience doesn't know what QAQC is.
3: Quality assurance, quality control. Yeah
1: two major uh components in this industry from everything from software to drill pipe yes yeah um so that's really cool so is did this i understand how it started right i understand it's as you um, went through school and as you um increased your different education you got exposed to this you had um the macondo incident, but to me it also comes across a bit it's also a bit of a passion project for you so it's not just it doesn't seem like it's just a business opportunity it seems like your heart's in this as well
3: well i'm, I'm curious and things that I'm curious about are improving quality of life, saving lives, right? So having uh, a system that enables the workforce to stay safe, that is top of mind for me.
2: Yeah. And, and some of this equipment, these testing equipment that you've got with Reactwell, you all have designed yourself. You've had to come up with solutions. Yes. These aren't off the shelf where everybody can just go buy. it. You've, you've got a few pieces of equipment here that are right out of your brain onto that's, the table.
3: That's correct. We have off the shelf as well as custom we have actually a $20 million advanced prototyping facility on the West Coast where we do a lot of this work.
2: Yeah,
1: and so um, let's talk about a little bit about your prototype facility because I was fascinated. We had lunch day and we were talking about this. So you basically have high-end, large commercial laboratory testing facilities all under one roof. Yes, yeah.
3: labs and shops. Yeah. And it's a shared environment. Yep.
1: So when you say shared environment, what does that mean?
3: Uh, what it means is, so this, this advanced prototyping center on the West Coast, we worked with a nonprofit organization and several other organizations with the city and uh, utilities that are out there on the West Coast to provide guidance and assistance to activate this asset. And the asset is comprised of 20 different laboratories and shops in order to commercialize hard science and engineering technologies. So you can literally run a job on a CNC machine, three or five axis, and then just walk down the hall take the part that you milled, and connect it to your laboratory experiment in a wet lab next to a clean room.
1: Yeah. And so uh, this is in combination with the city of Los Angeles, right? And But also some of the large utility providers out there.
3: Yeah. The campus is called LaCrette's Innovation Campus, and it was an effort by the city and the utility and the nonprofit.
1: Yeah. And then um, you're able to um, give access to this to different small companies, startups, entrepreneurs, Large municipalities, large oil and gas companies, so they can come in and quickly prototype something and test it.
3: Yes, our company we have you know membership to this uh, asset called the Advanced Prototyping Center, and then on profit there, LACI uh, is the one that actually is the steward of managing that asset. Our company provides technical assistance and guidance and makes sure that that asset is. Operated with best practices.
2: And that that's, uh, brings up what I was going to ask. You've got a whole bunch of different small operators you know, trying to come up with a solution that needs to get tested. How do you control the safety, if there, it's a pressure vessel or anything like that, mm-hmm. in your facilities? How do you control that? How do you and guide these best practices?
3: Sure. So control and best practices. So before someone even steps foot into one of those labs or shops, they have to go through an onboarding process, a kiosk, a liability waiver, background check. Then they have a card. That card gives them access only to that specific room or shop. The card also has printed their contractor. It prints their photograph, the details about them while they're on site. When they get access to that room, there's a technician that's there
2: as well. Oh, so, it, yeah, it's under supervision. You, they're not just playing in their toy shop. And...
3: So it's an expensive toy shop, if right. you want to call it that. Now, they have memberships, and if you have a membership, you can get access, but you can only get access after you've been trained. Some of the training is lecture, going through a course, like an online course through the Learning Center on Safety Spot. Another one may be, if it's a welder, that requires a lot of field uh, demonstration and observation by a qualified person to sign off on that individual, demonstrating competency and safe use of the equipment and process. And all that's captured in the software as well, so that if we ever needed to run a report on a person that entered the facility, we can see the time they entered it, the waivers that they sign, the training that they received, and acknowledge that they received.
2: And how do you manage the work that's going on And so, after they're done with their training? Do you have a permit system so you know, you know we've got hot work going on in this lab, we've got you know, pressure tests going on in this lab? Do you have a job management system?
3: So as far as jobs management system, that is up to the company, the individual company that is at that facility. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
1: And y'all actually touch a lot of clean tech, don't y'all? Yes. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, is that because you're in Los Angeles, which that part of the country tends to be more uh, in, uh environmentally, what's the right word for me to say? <laughs> they they tend to have a conscious, bigger <laughs> conscious, environmentally yeah. conscious. Yeah.
3: I think, you know, our company culture is zero waste, right? So, if you're going to do something, do it well, do it efficiently, and do it profitably without creating waste. That's just our mindset in our company.
1: Right. And so so the clean tech part, the, the, I guess the what I'm getting at is um So I'm a big supporter of solar and wind, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of people say, well, you work in oil and gas, it's competition. It's not competition. It's all energy. And as humans, our energy mix has always change from the time we used biomass when we were burning wood till now. Um, and then, but there's other parts of the um, the renewable energy parts that I think are a waste of time and money, such as uh, ethanol, you know, the renewable fuel standards. It just doesn't make business sense. Um, the clean tech world is sort of like that too. There's a lot of clean tech out there that it just makes sense. And I really think they should be supported. Um, there should be some tax incentives to help get this um, burgeoning technology off the ground, but there's other parts of clean tech, which I really think are just a waste of money and time. Um, Do y'all get into that world at all, or it doesn't matter? As long as they meet your standards and come in, you can try to help them.
3: So the Advanced Prototyping Center is industry agnostic. In other words, if you're working on a widget and you want to get a membership to a prototyping center to build the widget, feel free to, provided the widget is not going to harm anyone in the environment per se.
1: Yeah. So so to you, it's regardless of what the company's trying to do, if it makes business sense to them and there's no um, negative consequences, they're, they're welcome. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so you literally could have uh, somebody inventing the next generation of wind turbine rent next to the guy that's inventing the next uh, generation of clean coal burning technology. Correct. Yeah. But,
2: but absolutely no doomsday devices. <laughs>
1: you just, you know, practical, be practical,
3: be pragmatic and mindful. The hey. key thing is uh, with these facilities, and you know we're looking at one here in Houston as well, which is a separate conversation. But the cool thing is, is that it's intellectual property neutral. So if you want to go build something, go build it. If it works and you can make money at it, that's yours.
2: Yeah, you brushed r- you brushed over a little too fast. I don't know if our audience caught that. You're planning to move, start a facility. Like that here in Houston,
3: we're having discussions right now with several groups. I think and there's a good a good fit here.
2: So when, when he gets further down the road, Mark, we need to bring him back on to talk about where they're going to be, what the what access. I think it's uh, just a cool idea to bring to Houston. Actually, Patrick, what would be
1: really cool is we did a series of maybe short shows as they start the process, as they go through it, as they stand up, as they get staffed, as they do construction. It could almost be like a short fifteen minute increment. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Yeah. So um,
3: and the cool thing is we already to have the software to manage the asset.
1: Yeah, so you really just need it for it to make business sense here in Houston. Stand up a
2: facility, and, and there you go. So, Brandon, I'm well, a that's pa- a good time right now. If anybody here in Houston that's listening to the podcast has some influence within the city, you know, reach out and we'll give you uh, Brandon's contact information for sure.
1: Yeah, we'll stick actually Brandon's LinkedIn profile in the show notes so you can actually also reach out to him directly. Brandon, I'm going to pause you right here because I think this is probably right about the point where we need to bring in the Red Wing safety tip of the week. And
2: Patrick, you're right. I've got one. I've it. actually been sitting on one for a while. We've had our guests do it for the last couple episodes, but. I've actually and I saw it when I was working offshore and I see it at construction sites when people go at heights and they don't tie off correctly. They, they're harnessed up, they've got their lanyards, and then they clip into whatever's closest. They don't take into account that well you're gonna fall for six feet, that length of the, of the rope, and then the shock absorber's got another three meters in there so you're gonna keep on falling. You need to keep that in mind when you're tying off, tie off above your head Make sure it's going to allow you to fall the shock-absorbing distance before you run into anything hard, heavy that's going to hurt you. So I see it all the time, 100% tie-off. That means when you're over the handrail, you're clipped in. doesn't matter if you can't reach. You find a way to stay 100% tied off, and then do it right. Do it above you. Do it safely.
1: Yeah, I got a real story about that. I was in an office building a couple months ago, and the crew was stringing um, Cat 5 cable through the ceiling, right? And so they had scaffolding, they had ladder, um, ladders, and they had uh, safety cables to, to tie off to. And they tied off with six-foot jumpers with a three-foot shock absorber. But, Patrick, they're only six feet off
2: the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like there's some common sense need to be applied there. I and mean, they were
1: tied in. They were snapped in.
2: And I've seen that offshore. You, If you're above six feet, you have to be tied off. They don't, they don't specify what you have to be tied off with or how far how far you're actually going to fall. You may actually fall the length of that rope. Get swung upside down and <laughs> yeah so what if no. you're over six foot so what if you're over six
3: by two? definition you're above six well feet that's yeah that's exactly <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah yeah so um great safety tip of the week now it's time for us to uh, talk about our red wing offshore bag so we showed it on the facebook live video brandon your, the bag sitting right in front of you if you'd like to win one or if you mind an audience would like to win one it's really simple you go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast that's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast enter your information we draw one lucky winner a week.
2: And this week's winner is Tony Crothit with Athens Group. He's a subsea engineer over there. Congratulations, Tony.
1: All right. So wrapping up things here with Brandon. Brandon, it's you've got a fascinating story. You have a passion for what you do. You've uh, been very successful so far. I can tell you'll be very successful in the future. Uh, Patrick and I are both selfishly hoping you kick off another facility here in Houston. <laughs> um, if people wanted to learn more about you and your company, where should they go?
3: They can go to our website. They can go to the website at reactwell.com, and if they would like to learn more about the safety data system. It is safetyspot.com.
1: Yeah, and Patrick will put links in the show notes make it easy for everybody. And Patrick, you also put Brandon's LinkedIn profile link, yep, right? Yep. To Every, everything they need to get a hold of you. Okay, okay. perfect. Um, so perfect time to talk about our LinkedIn group. If you like this show or if you don't like this show, if you like our other shows, we have new shows coming out. If you want to know any of the stuff Patrick and I are doing first, uh, go join our LinkedIn group. It's really simple. Go to LinkedIn, type in OGGN.com. It's Oil and Gas Global Network. It's the LinkedIn group for all of our shows, not just this one. It's our family. Um, Patrick, I've been noticing you've been a little bit
2: active on OGGN Network. I've been getting back into it. There are a lot of, a lot of posts I need to moderate. <laughs> People are active in the, in the group.
1: Yeah. And so if you may not know this, but our group is 100% moderated by people. Every person that joins our group is, is uh, vetted by a real person. So no software. So if you ask to join, it may take a day or two for us to, to approve you. But that's because a real person is checking you out to make sure you're actually a real person. Um, I've talked about this before. We have changing feeds uh, in iTunes. My apologies. I actually broke the HSN feed. So if you've been listening to the show. Um, I
2: told them in the show notes last <laughs> week it was all your fault. <laughs> it is all my
1: fault. Um, you have to go in iTunes and search for our... Red Wing HSE podcast, again, uh, subscribe to that feed, and I promise I won't break that one. Uh, we have a new show coming out. Um, stay tuned for that. It'll come out in March. It's going to be really great. Uh, we have a website for, for this, oilandgashsne.com. All our shows are there. We're going to start doing some blogging there. We have an email list. If you want to find out what we're doing first, at the same time, the LinkedIn group, uh, go drop your email address in there. We will not spam you, but we're actually to start pushing some content out just for our email subscribers. So um, the listeners won't get it. Uh, the people that are in the LinkedIn group won't get it. It's going to be strictly for the email list for oilandgashsne.com. And then, Patrick, we're on the road uh, next week, actually. We're going to be at the Mid Continent Digital Oil Field Conference, uh, MCDOC in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, that trip's made possible by the Oklahoma Energy Resource Board and SOAR. And then we're going to be at NAEP in February, Process Safety in March, SPE in New Orleans in uh, April, and OTC with National Oil Well. That's going to be really cool in May. So if you want Patrick and I to come talk to your trade association, your company, your event, your school, HSE meetings, whatever, uh, reach out to Patrick and I. We'll be happy to share the
2: details. Uh, what's left, Patrick? Live event. Live event coming up the first quarter of 2017, probably middle to end of March. Again, go to the com site, and that's going to be where you're going to sign up. We haven't officially decided how we're going to give out these tickets, but that's going to be the place to go to get them.
1: Yeah, and there's going to be a constraint. We're not just letting anybody in. So we're going to have a panel of HSE experts. Where we're going to talk about really relative, good, quality, useful, valuable content. We're going to do it in a very limited seating arrangement with good food, good drinks. Uh, so stay tuned. It's coming. Um, then if you like the show, can you do me a favor? Please, please, please leave us a review because when I broke the link, and iTunes also lost all of our reviews. <laughs> so if you've left, a, left us a review before, can you go back and leave us another one, please? And if you haven't left us a review, take it a couple of seconds. Uh, Patrick, I, we said this last show, but we have to start reading the reviews. Um, next show we do, we'll start grabbing some reviews and give people shout-outs. Well, we
2: them. haven't gotten any new ones since you broke the feed, so we need to get somebody to, to <laughs> drop us some new reviews in the new show. It might be leaving them in the old show. I don't know. but um...
1: Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, please leave us – actually, it makes it easy if you get a shout-out. If nobody's left us a review and you leave us one, you'll be the first one to
2: That's right. get a shout-out. And, and then, if you're having trouble leaving a review, um, I've started putting just a four-step process, how to leave a review in iTunes. They make it a little more difficult than it needs to be. but uh, So if you have trouble, go to the show notes, follow the instructions. There's a link there. Yeah, and speaking
1: of show notes, you should go. If you like the show, if you found it valuable, go to oilandgashsne.com, find the show. Everything that you, we talked about, everything you need is there. Patrick took the time to build, make clickable links, so it makes it ridiculously easy for you to find everything we talked about. Uh, and then finally, if you like the show, share it. We're growing. Uh, we're trying to grow faster. If you can share it with your peers, your HS&E people, your operation manager, shoot, even your mom and dad, we would appreciate that.
2: Mark hasn't said it in a long time, so I'm going to say it. All in Houston, all in the world, all in your company. Send out that mass email, let people know about
1: us. (laughs) Yeah, do the company all email. Brandon, you had something else to throw in?
3: Yeah, one last thing, which is important. With the software that we have called SafetySpot.com, we provide that software through sponsorships to schools, uh, universities, high schools, grade schools. A lot of the schools are having maker spaces now, so they're having little laser cutters and little bandsaws and whatnot. Even with something like that, you still need to be careful. Right. Absolutely. You know, we provide the software for free.
1: Oh, that's awesome. For good that for you. Application. Yeah, so if you're a school, a trade school out there or whatever, and you want to stay on top of your safety metrics in a very modern, easy way, hats off to Brandon for offering it to you for free. All right, that's kind of about wraps it up. Patrick, have you anything else? I think that's it for me. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good and go for the great.
0: Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil & Gas HSE Podcast, a production of the Global Oil & Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond.
3: Seeing a six foot long icicle (laughs) that was not ice. What was it? Uh, I'm not going to say the details, (laughs) but it it was carbon based. (laughs)